everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with Alex Meyer to discuss our predictions for the Oscars, which take place tomorrow night. We'll be going through all 24 categories, just as they'll be presented on the telecast. None of them will be shifted to the commercials. Thank goodness for that. Amen, yeah. I can understand in some awards like the BMEs and the Grammys shifting some off air because there's just way too many, but with the Oscars, with 24 categories, you know, they all deserve their moment in the spotlight. Exactly. And it just seems ridiculous. Three, to... three, three hours minimum be damned. It's <laughs> the Oscars, let it go on. I mean, obviously don't make it too long, but, you know, it's like the Super Bowl, let it go on as long as it needs to. I agree. And so let's get on with our predictions, starting with the biggest one of all and probably a difficult one this year, definitely. And that's Best Picture. So, uh, Alex, start off by reading off the nominees. All right. So there can be anywhere from five to ten nominees based on how many films get first place votes. And there are eight nominees this year, and they are... Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Okay, this best picture this year has been very difficult to predict because, look, so many films have been winning different precursors, like Black Panther won the SAG Ensemble, Bohemian Rhapsody won the Golden Globe for Drama, uh, Green Book won the Golden Globe for Comedy Musical and the PGA. Meanwhile, the presumed frontrunner, Roma, has wins from Critics' Choice, DGA, and BAFTA. So where do you stand? Who do you have out front? Or what do you have out front, I should say? I'm going with Roma because it seems to be the least controversial of the of some of the nominees this year. As we saw last year, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri couldn't overcome the accusations of things like racism as well as lack of nominations for, say, Martin McDonough in the Best Director category, which, and I think some accusations of, like, either things with the movies or things involving people involved with those movies in some of the other contenders will hurt their chances here. And I know some have criticized Roma for some don't like it because it's a Netflix movie and some feel it's too slow. But I think just a lot of people, I think overall will throw their support behind it, especially maybe more younger and more foreign voters will probably want to throw their support behind it. And just given the overall praise it's gotten, I think, it's going, and given that the accu, and given that its worst accusations have been that it might be boring for some, I think that can help put it over the line a little. Well, uh, how exactly could the accusations of it being boring help? Well, I, I never meant it. I never meant that it could help. I'm just saying that could, it could. It seems that's the least likely. The accusations of it being boring are the, the least likely to hurt it in terms of winning Best Picture, I think. Hmm. Whereas the other movies like Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody and things like that have much more strong criticisms against them that could cause them to be ranked at the bottom of the preferential ballots for some voters. Whereas Roma, I can see being a lot of voters number one, number two, number three, which is the most... Con which is the big thing that's needed to win this category of not just how many number one votes you get, but how many number two or number three votes. 
Well, yes, and, and and in fact, we should say that GoldDerby.com, as well as Scott Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter, have been posting anonymous Oscar ballots from members they've interviewed. And, yeah, there were at least a couple that thought Romo was not only boring, but thought it didn't really have much of a plot at all. Yeah, well, with the anonymous ballots, the only way you can truly decide what may be a strong winner is if, like, say you see one person being named in every, nearly every ballot of the voters pick to win. So even if like some voters might have found Roma boring, we have to remember this is only a very, very tiny, like 0.1% view of the Academy from these ballots. So unless like all of them, like say they voted for a certain person or certain movie, then we can't really take criticisms with like, as the strong indicator that that movie will lose. So, so like, for instance, like, if, like I remember a few years ago, there were like 10 anonymous voter ballots on the Hollywood reporter and for best picture, like maybe only two or three of them picked 12 years a slave to win in the best picture category, but it ended, still ended up winning. And so therefore I think with best picture, you know, given that, We've seen a wide variety of responses so far. Just that the fact that Roma seems the least controversial overall just gives me the feeling that it may edge out the rest of the competition. Okay. You make some good points, and yes, I agree that when it comes to hearing or reading the anonymous Oscar ballots, it's important to take everything they say with a grain of salt. But with that being said, I'm going out on a limb and predicting Black Klansman to win Best Picture. That would be my personal choice to win, but of course we have to not let our personal bias get too in the way of these predictions. But I mean, it it depends on... But we've we've never really seen Spike Lee's films be strong contenders before, so that we don't really have much of a bellwether to go against in terms of it winning. But I would personally like to see it win, but I just think that Roma, it's been so talked about and how it was shot and what it displays that I just think that'll that'll kind of help. And the fact that it's a strong lock to win, like Best Director and Cinematography, those types of awards can really help put a film over the Best Picture line. So, Well, except uh, those are voted on by a separate voting unit from Best Picture. Well, yeah, I mean, well, it's still all the same people voting. It's just different types of ballots. We should just make that clear. It's not like one group votes for one award and another group votes for another, like... The others, every other award is just simple, just simple first past the post of whoever has the most votes wins, whereas this is, you know, the preferential ranking. Um, yeah, but I, uh, as for my overall rankings. Oh, wait, wait, uh, before you get to that, I don't want to get into my reasons why I'm predicting Black Klansman. And I'm not predicting it because I want to see it when I actually feel I have good enough evidence to back me up. And no, it's it's probably the only film in the Best Picture lineup that got every single important nomination it needs. Not only writing, directing, and editing, but also the SAG Ensemble. Because let's keep in mind that Roma missed an editing nomination, and it can be hard to win Best Picture without an editing nomination. I mean, Birdman overcame that step four years ago, but before that, you have to go all the way back to 1980 when ordinary people win Best Picture without an editing nomination. Not to mention that 
Roma was completely ignored by SAG, and that's an awards group that showed a lot of love to Netflix in the past. And now, while yes, we did see The Shape of Water overcome the stat of no SAG Ensemble nomination last year, it still at least had individual nominations for Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins. True, but with SAG, we have to remember that there's like 150,000 voters and only a small panel every year determines the nominations, whereas the Academy, all 8,000 members get to vote in the pre-nomination process, at least in the branches that their category represents, where, and then the final round, all members of all categories get to vote. And also, given the fact that the Academy has made strong efforts in the past couple of years to really diversify their membership in terms of women, people of color, foreign voters, we may really be on a trend here where all the old rules of the past are probably could probably continue to be broken in the next couple of years. And as the Guild Awards have proven this year, the everything has kind of gone off the rails in terms of what we thought was going to be winning in term in, you know, all the precursor prizes. So at this point it's kind of like blindly throwing a dart at a dartboard and just hoping it hits the bullseye which is kind of how I've approached this in terms of looking at what we've had so far and what old voters versus new voters want to see and just what the guilds have been saying so far and just everything going on politically, socially, because politics and social issues, I think, do influence votes for some people, you know, so I try to kind of keep all that in mind when making my predictions. So, you know, I just, you know, I think Roma... What I think could help Roma over Black Klansman, I mean, Black Klansman could certainly help in the fact that the ending in particular served to be a direct criticism of the Trump administration, per se, whereas Roma could be even more helpful because it's set in Mexico. And of course, Donald Trump, we know, hates Mexico and wants to build a wall on the border, which has been the cause of this recent government shutdown, the longest in U.S. history. And if voters really want to get political and give Trump the middle finger, my my instinct tells me they're going to vote for this. We shall see. And it's also worth noting that, you know, you know, Romo still have to overcome the fact that it's a foreign language film. And I could see some voters probably feeling they'll already have that taken care of in foreign language film, which we'll get to soon. Don't worry. As well as the fact that, you know, there probably is still the backlash of awarding a Netflix film Best Picture. Whereas, you know, there's probably industry people who aren't ready to really see... Well, they just they just don't want to see the movie going experience relocated to just watching at home. Well, but Roma if also had some did its best to really roll out theatrical screenings where it could, and I think if any voter did see it theatrically, I wouldn't be surprised if because I heard the theat excuse me the theatrical experience of seeing Roma was quite incredible. So if any voter did see it on the big screen i can imagine them wanting to rally behind it and we've gradually seen the oscars get more and more accepting of netflix movies each year like with last year we saw mudbound break into the race with four nominations including an acting nomination and a screenplay nomination so that's that's pretty huge so to go from four nominations for a netflix film to 10 that really to me is a big sign that the industry really for the most part is embracing Netflix as a major player in the Oscar race. So I think, will there be some anti-Netflix backlash? Yes, but I 
suspect that's just going to be the small minority group who wants to scream the loudest. Okay, now on to Best Director. And so the nominees are Spike Lee, Black Klansman, Powell Polkowski, Cold War, Yorkos Lanthimos, The Favorite, Alfonso Cuaron, Roma, and Adam McKay, Vice. And this seems pretty much to be a done deal for Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, I, I have a super bet here, so I'm easily picking him to win. Yeah. But... And my, the rest of my rankings are Spike Lee, Yorgos Lanthimos, Adam McKay, and Paul Polakowski. Ah, exact same five rankings as me. Yeah, yeah, Cuaron, you know, after pulling off such a big technical achievement five years ago with Gravity, he makes a smaller, more personal film with Roma. Not to mention that he also produced, wrote, shot, and edited the film as well. And, mm -hmm. and history has shown sometimes that like, when, a f when voters really like the way a film was made and if the filmmaker was involved in multiple aspects, they'll often reward them by giving them multiple Oscars in one night, like we saw with Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather Part Two, James Cameron for Titanic, and Alejandro Gonzalez and Iritu for Birdman. All three of them won three Oscars in one night for those films, and Cuaron could probably beat them all with four wins if he should win. If if Roma should win all the categories that we think it went, will win. Well, well, at least it, it, the categories Corone himself is nominated in because, because with Best Foreign Language Film, while the filmmakers are the ones who accept the award, it's really given to the country, not the filmmakers. No, but I bet the filmmakers probably keep the Oscar statuette nonetheless. Oh. That's a good point, but still, I mean, it's a reason why Ang Lee is only credited as a two-time Oscar winner for directing Brokeback Mountain and Life of Pi. He does, even though he accepted foreign language film for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and came very close to winning had Steven Soderbergh not pulled Search for Traffic at the last minute. Yeah, or, um, but he probably keeps all three of the Oscar statues in his home, though, I imagine. Well... That's probably true. So, now on to, uh, ready to talk about Best Actor? Sure. Okay, so the nominees for Best Actor are? Alright, we have Christian Bale, Vice, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe, At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen, Green Book. And so early on in the season, it looked like this race was going to be between Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper, yet Rami Malek has been doing much better than expected. I mean, he's won the Golden Globe for Drama Actor, the SAG Award, and the BAFTA for his performance as Freddie Mercury, even those who did not like the film still felt he was the best thing about it. And I guess he might also be getting some sympathy votes due to the Brian Singer situation and how they didn't get along on set. But then that might lead some to wonder if rewarding him for working with Brian Singer is ethical or not. Because there's a debate of should the people involved with Bohemian Rhapsody be punished for Brian Singer's sins or not. Well, yeah, especially when they literally did nothing wrong. Right, but some people may feel the association w with him still makes, still makes it them undeserving to win. And that it might be an insult to his vic to Brian Singer's victims if any of them win, but I mean this is just what people are saying, not my own opinion on the matter. 
Well, yes, because as you said, it's important to leave your personal opinions on the nominees out of the equation and just focus on what it really seems likely to happen. Well, admittedly, I'm not personally rooting for Bohemian Rhapsody to win in anything just because there are other nominees that I think are better. But I'll admit, personally, I'm always torn. I am personally torn about whether or not people associated with a controversial director, even if they claim to have no knowledge about that person's behavior, I'm personally mixed as to whether or not they, too, should be punished along with Brian Singer. I mean, a part of me says yes, because maybe some of them knew about it beforehand, like Maybe John Ottman, the editor, who's worked with Brian Singer for decades, maybe he had heard rumors of the allegations. Um, but then again, you know, of course, I don't necessarily think – I'm I obviously guessing they weren't involved in Brian Singer's personal life, so that can kind of help separate it. You know, it's I'm always torn between the whole separating the art from the artist because I can see some situations where, yes, it should be separate and other times where it shouldn't. It's like a case-by-case scenario. Well, in any case, my overall predicted rankings are Rami Malek, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Viggo Mortensen, and Willem Dafoe. Yep, those are my same five rankings as well. I think Rami Malek may win, you know, if like, since Bohemian Rhapsody does seem to be the rare film that Hollywood has seemed to embrace way more than critics did. But, may, but maybe there's a possibility of a Christian Bale upset, considering how... His performance as Dick Cheney and Vice was quite the transformation, and if some voters, some voters maybe could be upset with Rami Malek for not actually doing a lot of his own singing as Freddie Mercury, because a lot of it was lip syncing. Well, well, yeah, that pretty much hurts Audrey Hepburn from even getting nominated for My Fair Lady. Yeah, and it probably costs, even though Deborah Carr was nominated for The King and I, she didn't win because her vocals were also dubbed by Marnie Nixon. Well, well, yes, but we don't know how much common knowledge it was back then, especially given there was no internet. Yeah, but I imagine some in the, some in the industry probably had to have known that it wasn't really her singing. Well, yeah, well yes. And... And maybe, but then again, I guess, yeah, well... We'll see what happens. I think it's ultimately a Rami Malek Christian Bale race. Um, but yeah, I have all the same rankings as you did. Although, if if Willem Dafoe were somehow to pull an out of nowhere shocking win, that would make me happy though because he would he's my personal pick to win if I were my voting myself. Fair enough. And I should also point out that a thing Rami would have in common with Eddie Redmayne and Gary Oldman is that they all won Best Actor for playing real people in biographical films scripted by Anthony McCartan. And Rami Malek would actually join Eddie Redmayne among the ten youngest winners of Best Actor because I believe he's only like 36, I believe, or maybe 37. I know he's in his mid-30s and Eddie Redmayne was in his like early to mid-30s when he won, so... Um, Rami Malek is 37. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I I know for sure that a lot of the youngest actor winners are in their 30s, because I know the youngest winner to date, Adrian Brody in The Pianist, was 29 at the time of his win. Yes, he was. So, now on to uh, Best Actress. Uh, it's your turn now. Oh, okay. So the nominees are Yulitsia Aparicio, Roma, Glenn Close, The Wife, Olivia Coleman, The Favorites, 
Lady Gaga, A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Now, early on in this season, it looked like it was going to be a three-way race between Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, and Lady Gaga. Yet, when Glenn Close very surprisingly won the Golden Globe for Best Drama Actress over Lady Gaga and gave such a memorable speech, the race started to become clearer. Especially... Two standing ovations, I should add, one in the middle of the speech, which you almost never see. Yes, and one as she went up to the stage. Mm -hmm. Yes, and not to mention she's had additional wins at the Critics' Choice in a tie with Lady Gaga and the SAG Awards. And it looks like, you know, no, this is an actress who currently shares an all-time record with Deborah Carr, speaking of which, and Thelma Ritter is the biggest losing actress in Oscar history. And she actually has one more nomination than both of them. Well, yes, but, you know, if she loses this time, then she'll set a whole new record. But, of course, we don't need to get into that right now. Well, however, at least, she's, she do, at least she doesn't share Peter O'Toole's dubious record of eight nominations and no wins. Well, yes. And it's also ironic because Close herself presented Deborah Carr her honorary Oscar. Mm. Well, yeah. So, yeah, I do think she'll win... And of course, and ironically, because we were talking about Rami Malek being potentially among the youngest winners of Best Actor, Glenn Close would rank among the top ten oldest Best Actress winners if she is to win this category because she's 71, I believe, currently. And I know the oldest winner to date was Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy, who was 80 at the time. Yes, she was. And, uh, yeah, Glenn Close is almost 72 actually yeah so i was right i think i think i remember reading she would be right behind katherine hepburn for on golden pond because she was about 74 75 when she won for that uh-huh so yes uh, yes and however it's it's while she while Glenn Close almost has this race sewn up, you know, Olivia Coleman now appears to be the one within striking distance for the favorites. I mean, she so far managed to win the Golden Globe for comedy actress and the BAFTA. But though, with that being said, Coleman hasn't been able to do as much campaigning due to her commitments filming the upcoming third season of The Crown, while Close has been doing a lot more campaigning. Although, of course, sometimes even no campaigning can still give you a win, such as Mark Rylance winning for Bridge of Spies or Monique for Precious. Um, but I do think in, what will what, hurt Olivia Coleman more, I think, isn't the lack of campaigning, but rather her being unknown, because obviously many Oscar voters know who Glenn Close is and may feel that it's finally her time now if if you know because who knows if they may ever have a chance to reward her again yeah though so we'll see if there's sunset boulevard movie musical comes to fruition for glenn close yeah well uh we'll see i mean they keep saying it's gonna happen but i won't believe it happens unless like actual set photos appear or something like that or or if it's officially greenlit by paramount don't see why we need a, another Sunset Boulevard movie when the original is already iconic enough. But anyway, so I have, I think Olivia, I think Olivia Coleman, I think partly her win at the BAFTA was just because the Brits have known who she is for a long time. Yes, they have. BAFTA TV awards, so clearly she would, you know, they really, really love her and the BAFTAs like to reward their own when they can. So, but I have her in second place, followed by 
Lady Gaga, Yalitza, Baricio, and Melissa McCarthy. Ah, same exact rankings as me. Um, we should also note that Yalitza Baricio is the first indigenous Mexican woman nominated for an Oscar because we've had other Mexican nominees before, but they've all had like European ancestry, and Yalitza Baricio does not. She's like completely 100% indigenous Mexican. Yes, so, yes, and we've even had some winners like Javier Bardem for No Country for Old Men or Benicio Del Toro for Traffic. True, but like I, but they're, they have the European ancestry as part of their Hispanic heritage, whereas Yalitza Aparicio does not. And that's true. So, are you ready to discuss Best Supporting Actor? Yep. Okay, and the nominees are? The nominees are Mahershala Ali, Green Book, Adam Driver, Black Klansman, Sam Elliott, A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell, Vice. And despite having just won this award two years ago for Moonlight, Mahershala Ali is already looking to become a two-time Oscar winner this year for his performance in Green Book. He's won everything from Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, SAG, and BAFTA, so he pretty much has this race locked up at this point. Mm-hmm. I do think he'll win, but if there's a possibility of some people feeling Green Book is too antiquated in its portrayal of race relations, maybe that could possibly lead to a surprise upset win by Richard E. Grant, who I have in second place. And, and he ha- and he has been campaigning a lot. In fact, he's been very charming on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. And and I know, like, I remember seeing, like, a lot of film critics' polls where they said, if we pick the Oscars, here's who we would pick. And many of them picked him over Mahershala Ali. And, of course, Richard E. Grant did win more critics' prizes than, than Mahershala Ali did. So, But, of course, critics' prizes don't always translate to Oscars. I mean, look at poor Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. Or Willem Dafoe and Laurie Metcalf last year. Yeah, and I believe Chiwetel Ejiofor won more critics' group critics prizes for 12 years a slave than matthew mcconaughey did for dallas buyers club and speaking of mcconaughey mahershal Ali can currently be seen on the current season of true detective which we saw kind of helped matthew mcconaughey when he was on the first season during his oscar season for dallas buyers club that as well as mcconaughey just kind of had an overall career resurgence with movies like the lincoln lawyer magic mike mud you know yes he did yeah the reconnaissance, as people called it. Uh-huh. Uh, um, okay. But then the rest of my rankings, I have Sam Elliott in third place because he could very well be, like, the, the veteran actor finally getting his due. And, you know, this is his very first nomination. Um, so at least now, despite having to wait 50 years after his wife, Catherine Ross, getting her first and only nomination, at least now they're both Oscar nominees together, so that's nice for them. Yes, it is. And then I have Adam Driver in fourth place and Sam Rockwell in fifth. Once again, exact same rankings as me. All right, well, next category is going to be very interesting considering yes. how open-ended supporting actress has been. Uh-huh. Yes, and so the nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Amy Adams, Vice, Marina Di Tavera for Roma, Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone, The Favorite, and Rachel Vice, The Favorite. 
So early on in the season, Regina King was the early frontrunner in this category for her performance in If Beale Street Could Talk. While she does have wins from the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice to back her up, she somehow wasn't even nominated by SAG nor BAFTA, a similar problem Sylvester Stallone had three years ago when he was the presumed frontrunner for Creed. Though, of course, King obviously has much more respect in the industry than Stallone. But then again, SAG and BAFTA are... both still two important precursor groups that share voters with the Academy. True, although in Baptist case, they don't really award many movies about American issues. Sometimes they do, other times they don't. You know, they often tend to go for the more British films. So her being snubbed at BAFTA, I guess, isn't too much of a surprise, although the SAG snub was certainly shocking. But again, I guess with the with the panel that they have the nominating, and it's like a different panel every year. It's often what what did they see beforehand? So, but ultimately, despite the snubs, I do have Regina King winning. I think there's a lot of goodwill towards her in the the industry. We've obviously seen that with her three Emmy wins in recent years, and the Academy has invited a lot more TV people into their ranks, so that could certainly give her a boost. Plus, she's been acting for over 30 years since she was in her teens and she's had supporting roles in many notable movies over the years from like boys in the hood, Jerry Maguire, Ray, etc. So this could find be kind of seen not just as a win for her for this movie, but also kind of a nice mid career achievement award. If some voters want to think that way. And, you know, there's just a lot of goodwill towards her as a person. It seems like she's just a very likable person, which and likability can often play a big factor into winning. Well, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Plus, plus, if voters want to concentrate on, if some voters are concerned about whether or not someone's committing category fraud, they don't have to worry about Regina King because if you see the movie, she's clearly a, a supporting role. She doesn't come across as a co-lead nominated in the wrong category. Well, um, well, while you do make good points. And as well as the fact that, you know, she is in a better position to overcome the stat than Stallone. Though with that being said, I'm predicting the BAFTA winner, Rachel Weisz. Uh, I'm putting her in second place because, I mean, I mean I, some voters, I think, might feel, well, she already has an Oscar. Does she need another one right now? Tell that to Mahershal Ali. Yeah, but like... He, he's already been seen as kind of a clear favorite, so just, I don't know, I mean, plus there's a whole thing, some voters might feel Rachel Weisz is more of a lead actress in the favorite than, the, than supporting, because there was talks of who would be nominated in what category before the campaigners made it official, and maybe some voters might be torn between her and Emma Stone, so, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's certainly... A toss-up call, but I'm, I guess I'm going with Regina King because if voters do pay attention to who wins the Critics' Awards, Regina King did pretty much sweep all the Critics' Awards, including the really big ones like the New York Critics, Los Angeles Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and Mark Rylance, when he won for Bridge of Spies, he kind of he won a lot of those same Critics' Awards as well. And though he also did at least have the BAFTA to back him up. That's true, but... I guess with plus Regina King, if campaigning plays a big factor, she has been very upfront on the campaign trail. She's been out there a lot promoting the film. So, you know, if voters do pay attention to campaigning, this will certainly help her. 
So, you know, I mean, it's a tough call, but I'm going to go with her just because I think there might be the urge to give if Beale Street could talk something out of its few nominations. And if it's not going to win anything else, they might as well give it to her for this. Well, well, on your comments about category fraud, we've seen being a lead in supporting help people in the past, like Jennifer Connelly in A Beautiful Mind or Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl, and that's probably about to help Mahershala Ali for Green Book. Yeah, but I just, I mean, it just depends on how much voters feel split between Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, because they could easily be considered like... Like, it depends on what voter, who voters may think is the real focus of the film. Some might think it's Rachel Weisz. Some might think it's Emma Stone. You know, it's because The Favorite's one of those movies where anyone could look at it and come up with a different opinion of whose story is it really telling, of which character, who is the real lead of The Favorite. You know, anyone might have a different opinion on it. So that, I think, might hurt it here. Well, at least in this category. But, yeah, I mean, I... Well, well, I'm sticking with Rachel because, well, look, if Regina King loses, I think this will be the final nail in the coffin in predicting the snub from SAG and BAFTA to win the Oscar. True, but we could very well see uh, Marsha Gay Harden's situation here because if the Oscars have proven anything, it's that even the most unlikely people nominated can sometimes pull off a win. Which would lead to my third place ranking my predictions, Maria T. Tavera. And, uh, yeah, I actually have her ranked there as well. And then I have Amy Adams in fourth because there could be the overdue narrative for her, although I don't think that's going to happen this time. Uh, yeah, especially since it hasn't really taken off as much as Glenn Close's has. Yeah. And then I have Emma Stone in last place. As same here. Well, I agree with you on the bottom three, but we shall see what happens with Best Supporting Actress tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. So, uh, now on to Best Original Screenplay. Uh, oh yes. Um, and the nominees are The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Okay, the original screenplay race this year, well, the original screenplay race this year has been pretty scattered. Green Book won the Golden Globe, which combines both adapted and original. First Reforms won the Critics' Choice, The Favorite won the BAFTA, and the unnominated Eighth Grade won the WGA. I'm predicting the favorites. I mean, it appears to be the most writerly driven out of all the nominees. And as one of my colleagues from Golderby, Amanda Spears, says, it's the most original. Not only that, but it also showcases a trend of British royal films winning in this category, like we saw with Shakespeare in Love and The King's Speech, just to name a few. Yes, indeed. And not to mention, oh man, it's such a hoot to holler. I mean, the dialogue is incredible. The, it's, it's really such a damn good movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, as for... As for the rest of my rankings, I have Green Book in second place, followed by Roma, Vice, and First Reformed. I agree with most of the rankings. However, I have Roma in second and Green Book in third. And here are my reasons. If Green Book couldn't win the WGA, then that probably doesn't, uh, with, when, albeit the favorite wasn't even eligible there. I just have a feeling if it can win the WGA, 
then that probably bodes well for the favorites. Uh, well, I have Roma ranked higher because I just have a feeling if it wins there, then it's winning Best Picture. Yeah, well, I have it ranked lower just because I think most people look at Roma as more of a directing accomplishment than a writing accomplishment because some films are seen as more of a directing film and others are seen more of as a writing film. And I think Green Book, obviously with the Oscars, it seems like it's more of a writing film because Peter Farrelly was snubbed in the Best Director category. And he's been more commonly known for writing than directing, I guess, even though he's often served as writer and director on a lot of his own films. With his brother. Yeah. And I have seen, you know, and then there has been some strong support of Green Book from some Academy members who've been wanting to defend it against the backlash it's received from some. So if voters want to give a finger to the detractors of Green Book, I imagine this would be one category where they could make the case for that. So that's kind of why I have it in second place. And if the PGA wins still mean anything, that's also partly why it's here as well, because we often do see a correlation between possible best picture and screenplay winners often, several times often going to the same film. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess uh, now on to uh, best adapted screenplay. You ready to talk? Mm -hmm. All right, the nominees are The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star is Born. And like original screenplay, Adapted has been pretty scattered this year. If Beale Street Could Talk won the Critics' Choice, Black Klansman won the BAFTA, and Can You Ever Forgive Me won the WGA. And, well... I'm predicting Black Klansman because it's the only one of two Best Picture nominees in here, the other being A Star is Born. And, but Black Klansman has more Best Picture heat, and it'd be the best way they can be able to give Spike Lee his first competitive Oscar. I also have Black Klansman winning, and it's my second super bet, I think. I have. That's my first super bet, actually. There's... I think there's just the urge to finally give Spike Lee a competitive Oscar for something, just kind of like how The Departed finally helped really win Martin Scorsese his first Oscar. And uh, since Spike Lee probably won't win director, this would be the best place to give it to him here. And I think Black Klansman is the most writerly film of the nominees here. Um, you know, as it's, it's a strong showcase for both its writing and its directing. And it manages to do a thing a tricky balance of being both very dramatic and comedic in a movie where you don't think there would be room for any kind of comedy. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I do have based on its WGA when I did have put, can you ever forgive me in second place followed by if Beale street could talk a star is born. And then the ballad of Buster Scruggs. And I have that ranked last because literally no one was predicting that would get nominated. Yeah, but hey, I guess you must never underestimate the Coen brothers. Yeah. Um, yes, and I have the exact same five rankings. Okay. So I guess next we move on to Best Cinematography. All right. So the nominees for Best Cinematography are... Cold War, The Favorite, Never Look Away, Roma, and A Star is Born. I think Roma will easily win this because it's been getting so much praise for how it looks. And, yeah, I think I think this is one of the solid locks of the night. I mean, possibly Cold War could upset because of its 
ASC win, which is why I have it in second place, but there's just been so much love and goodwill towards Roma that I think for its cinematography that I think that will help put it over the edge. And then as for the rest of my rankings, I have the favorite in third place, followed by A Star is Born and Never Look Away. I agree. Well, I mean, I agree that Roma is out front. I mean, this is one of many awards Alfonso Cuaron will be taking home tomorrow night. So, yeah, putting against uh, this point would be pretty foolish, especially considering that he originally intended the film to be shot by Emmanuel Lebesgue, but, you know, due to logistical reasons, Lebesgue couldn't proceed after he had already done some preparations. Well, what are the rest of your rankings now? Oh, I, I, I'm checking. Uh, yeah, as of now, I believe I have uh, Roma, The Favorite, Cold War, A Star is Born, and Never Look Away. Uh, one thing that I think could maybe could possibly help, I guess, The Favorite in an upset is, although I didn't get any confirmation about this, from what I, it looks of The Favorite, it looked like they used a lot of natural light shooting for it because there are a lot of scenes that don't look overly lit in both for both day and night, like some of the scenes look like they're only being lit either by the sunlight outside or just by the candlelight if it's a night scene. And we've seen natural light cinematography winners in the past, like Barry Lyndon famously, and also, of course, The Revenant. Yes, indeed. So, so if voters really want to go for the natural light, they might throw it to the favorite if they really love it that much. But I think I still think this is kind of Roma's lock to win. Yes, and now, so I guess now be- next is best costume design. Yep. All right, and so the nominees—is uh, it my turn or your turn? Yours. Okay. The nominees for best costume design are *The Ballad of Buster Scruggs*, *Black Panther*, *The Favorite*, *Mary Poppins Returns*, and *Mary Queen of Scots*. Okay, so leading up to the Oscars, Black Panther won the Critics' Choice and the Costume Designers Guild for Fantasy Film. Meanwhile, The Favorites has won the BAFTA and Costume Designers Guild for Period. So, where'd it go? I mean, Black Panther may not be the usual Oscar winner in this category, though we did see Mad Max Fury Road win Best Costume Design a few years ago. However, I'm predicting The Favorites win. How about you? I'm going with the favorite as well because I think it represents the most cruel. It has the most costumes. It's the most lavish, probably <clears throat> required the most historical research to pull off. And Sandy Powell clearly is a favorite amongst Oscar voters because this would mark her fourth win. And this actually is, and this wouldn't be the first time in which she was double nominated in the same year because, of course, Three years ago, she was a double nominee for both Carol and Cinderella. Both starring Kate Blanchett and lost to Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think in this case, I think she'll win her fourth Oscar here for the favorite because she's also a nominee for Mary Poppins Returns. That's clearly, that clearly, is true. They seem to really like her period designs for the most part because... Most of the time she's been nominated, it's often for period films, and she often goes back and forth between, like, like 18th and 19th century and then, like, early 20th century. That seems to be her specialty. Yes, and although the names don't even appear on the ballots, I mean, I imagine there probably are some people who are aware she's a double nominee this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... 
I think just the most rule will apply to the favorite because it just looks, the costumes look very realistic. They don't feel like a cheap imitation. I do have Black Panther in second place because I guess some voters might be impressed by its how different it looks compared to other nominees. And Well, yeah, it is the apple in a bag of oranges. And it does represent many different African tribal designs. And plus, if Ruth Carter wins, she would become the very first black costume designer to ever win an Oscar. Yes, she would. This marks her third nomination, and it's her first nomination in over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So she was last nominated for Malcolm X and Amistad, I believe. And And then the rest of my rankings, I have uh, Mary Poppins Returns, followed by Mary Queen of Scots, and then the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Ah, I have those same exact rankings. (laughs) Okay, wow, we're more like this year than I think we've been in, in almost any other year, it seems. Yeah, and I, I should also point out that while the favorite may be the more obvious winner in this category, the costumes in that film are still far more elaborate than that of Black Panther. Mm, true, but I can imagine, though, for Black Panther, those costumes, I mean, I, in both cases, I imagine for both the favorite and Black Panther, those costumes probably, I bet, I can only imagine, I just hope they were at least somewhat comfortable for the actors, because I know at least Emma Stone said wearing the corset she had to wear, she said it literally shifted her organs. Wow. So, but I, then again, I guess, that, I guess that's what usually happened, because cause often in, I've often seen in movies featuring those types of costumes, like with corsets, you hear the women saying, am I, am I supposed to not breathe while wearing this? <laughs> Like, I think I remember there was a remark in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie where, like, Kira Knightley says, this, they're telling her, well, these are how the costumes are. And she's like, are women not supposed to breathe? <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, uh, now on to next best film editing. In which, so next up, and this is probably one of the most toss-up categories, is best film editing. Indeed it is. And in my own Oscar nominations video, which I posted on my own YouTube channel, I gave like a huge list of films that I thought would have been more worthy of nom- of nominations here than some of the nominees that we do have. Yeah, like there's Stars Born, uh, First Man, and Roma, all completely shut out of this category. Yeah, I mean, even even A Quiet Place would have been a more worthy nominee than, say, Bohemian Rhapsody or Green Book. Yes, and uh, so uh, so I guess uh, whose turn is it to read off the nominees? I believe it's mine. Okay, and they are? We have Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. So ultimately, after much deliberation, because we did see the Editor's Guild, which splits into drama and comedy, they gave it to Bohemian Rhapsody for drama and... Um, the favorite for comedy and first man, I believe one of the critics choice where it, the, where it's not. And the first man is not nominated here, surprisingly, but vice managed to pull off a win at the BAFTAs. And we've seen the BAFTAs call upset wins at the Oscars several times, notably with whiplash and hacksaw Ridge. And I remember most people that year predicted boyhood and La La Land would win the Oscars respectively, but Nope, they followed the BAFTAs lead. So because of that, and I think given that Vice does have eight nominations, which I honestly which honestly is a little more than I anticipated it would get, 
I thought it might get maybe like five or six noms at the most. I'd have to go back and look at my original predictions, but because of the BAFTA lead and the voter overlap, I do think Vice will take it, especially considering how it weaves in documentary footage and these out-of-narration sequences like with Jesse Plemons' character, because it's often what's the most different type of footage they edit together, what's like the most action-packed or high-paced footage that often wins this. Like Argo. Argo or Dunkirk last year or uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Hacksaw Ridge, you know. So so a lot of fast-paced editing often wins here, which is why I have Vice winning. But then I do have Bohemian Rhapsody in second place because of its guild win and because of John Ottman's precarious situation of having to salvage the film following Brian Singer getting fired. Mm-hmm. Although maybe his past association with Brian Singer can... He's worked with him for over like twenty years. Well, yes. So sure. as we, as I previously mentioned, the names aren't on the ballot, so we don't know how much again. Well, how much of the Academy is aware that John Ottman is the editor of Bohemian Rhapsody, let alone the fact his long associations with Brian Singer. True, but you know Hollywood. Even though there are thousands of people living there, many of them probably have known each other for a long time, at least in some circles. So. There will be some who, trust me, will be aware of John Ottman's long association with Brian Singer, at least professionally. Like, I don't know how I don't know how often they hung out personally out offset. But, yeah, I do think that. But, yeah. I, and then following that, I have the rest of my rankings, Black Klansman, The Favorite and then Green Book. Ah, same five rankings as me. Oh my goodness. Yes, and I should point out that if Black Klansman pulls an upset here, that could be a sign of strong support for the film. Indeed, yeah. Well, that would be my personal pick to win out of these nominations. And after we post, the, after we finish recording this, I'm going to be posting my full who will win, who should win for all 24 Oscar categories on my Facebook page. Great. So now on to the next category, which is Best Makeup and Hairstyling, and it's an easier one. It's your turn. Uh Uh-huh, yes. And so the nominees are Border, Mary Queen of Scots, and Vice. And I think this is a slam dunk for Vice. I mean, it's not only the Best Picture nominee, but a lot of well-deserved credit must be given to the hair and makeup team of that movie. They literally had to transform so much of the cast into the real-life people they were playing, from Christian Bale as Dick Cheney to Amy Adams as Lynn Cheney to Sam Rockwell's George W. Bush. And don't forget Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld and Tyler Perry as Colin Powell. Uh, well, I know. I was just mentioning the obviously the more important, well, the more noteworthy ones. Yeah, but I mean, the, but Steve Carell's transformation as Donald Rumsfeld in particular was also quite striking. Yes, it was. I honestly think, I honestly think if they were to give a supporting actor nomination device, Steve Carell would have been more worthy than Sam Rockwell because. Sam Rockwell's performance is more or less just a glorified cameo, whereas Steve Carell really has a lot more screen time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as for the rest of my rankings, Vice, Mary Queen of Scots, and Border. Yep, those are my same rankings as well. And once again, we said before, please just expand the category to five nominees. It's getting ridiculous at this point to only have three I don't know why the makeup artist and hairstylist branch only keeps letting this happen. Why don't they advocate for more on the Board of Governors about this? Well, yeah, I happen to be Facebook friends with a 
member of their makeup branch. I should ask him about that sometime. But in the meantime, I have a petition you should sign ex- to get the Academy to expand the number of nominees. I think I already did sign it. Well, I know. I was just pointing that to the audience watching or listening to this. Yeah. If there were, if they did allow, like, say, yeah, I mean, it would. it's a shame that they couldn't allow, like, the five nominees because then we easily probably could have gotten nominations for films like The Favorite or, excuse me, Suspiria or maybe even Stan and Ollie. Yeah, or Black Panther or Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right, and the next up is Best Production Design, which is another category that has a lot of people split over who they think will win. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's, yes, it's my turn now, and the nominees are Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. I thought a lot about this... But I ultimately decided to go with Black Panther because, you know, sci-fi films, sci-fi fantasy films do actually have a good <clears throat> track record of winning in this category, like we've seen with Mad Max Fury Road or um, Avatar, Avatar, or Alice in Wonderland, and then even going back to previous decades, films like uh, Alien have won this category. Um, and I, I have a, and I have a feeling that I also have a feeling that voters will feel the need to give Black Panther at least one or two awards because I was because if Black Panther were to go home completely empty-handed, I can imagine like a lot of angry articles decrying that situation, saying Black Panther was a groundbreaking movie; it should have won at least something. Yes, and I do have Black Panther winning production design as well, given the enormous world-building of Wakanda. Plus, with the entire Academy voting in all 24 categories, I have a feeling they'll uh, they'll be voting for the most production design. True, but you could also say the same thing about the favorite, because they had to recreate an 18th century palace, and obviously none of that was... <clears throat> CGI, I'm sure, because I don't know how much CGI was used in Black Panther, but I bet they probably had to use like blue screen or green screen for some aspects of the set, which might hurt, which could possibly hurt Black Panther, especially if there are older voters or just voters in general who just don't like comic book or superhero movies, because that could possibly hurt Black Panther. But I just think, I think though, with the expansion of Academy members of diversity and just the overall respect Black Panther has had, at least with the guilds, that could certainly help it here. And, of course, if it should win, Hannah, the production designer, Hannah Beachler would become the first ever African-American winner in the category. Yes. As for my rankings, I have Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. Okay, well, I have the same top two, but I actually have Roma in third place because if it is wow. going to win Best Picture... I think, and if voters like to go for realism, I think it could really help it here because, you know, Alfonso Cuaron pretty much had to take an area of Mexico City and literally turn it back in time to the early 1970s with everything from, like, the cars to the interior of the house and just, you know, it really pops up out at you and it really makes you feel like you're there in that time it doesn't feel like a cheap imitation it feels like the real thing and then i have mary poppins returns in fourth place because they do do a fantastic job of 
recreating the sets from the original film, and then I have First Man in last place. Oh, well. Well, I have First Man ranked higher because it has more obvious production design than Roma. Mm -hmm. That's true, but sometimes some voters might want, like, sometimes there might be some voters who might go for the simplest and most realistic production design rather than the most amount of production design or the most fantasy related, you know, I guess it comes all down to taste overall, but I, I think Roma, we've seen best picture and best production design winners correlate a lot of the time. So that's why I have Roma ranked in the middle. Oh, well, I'm uh, doing calculations here. And no, I don't believe there's been a best... Oh, well, okay. I think there's only, so far, only one Best Picture winner has only taken production design as well within this past decade, which would be The Shape of Water. Yeah, well, I just think... But I guess just with the recreation of the black and white look, I guess, as well, I think that also might help Roma because, you know, as we've said before what's the apple in the bag of oranges or vice versa. And that would certainly be it. I think. Well, you could almost say the same thing about black Panther, given that it's set in present day and it has to create entire fantasy world. Whereas the others are all period pieces. Mm, true. But like with Roma, what could possibly help it there is that <clears throat> Alfonso Cuaron really had to get, the look of 1970s down to a T with kind of like literally recreating his childhood home from like the wallpaper design to pretty much everything inside the house to having to get those old models of like 1970s era cars and just and get everything to kind of bring that area of Mexico City back to life at the time. And, you know, that obviously would have taken like a lot of time and manpower. But I but still, I think, you know, it's it's a toss-up between the Black Panther and the Favor because they do play into the traditional rules, but I just think, given the more diversity in the Academy, if, like, foreign voters especially want to reward Roma, I could see many of them checking off the bot, they're checking that off on their ballots as a result. Okay, so I guess now on to Best Original Score? Uh, yes. And I believe it is my turn, yes. So the nominees for Best Original Score are Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins Returns. So this has to be the most wide-open race of the year. First Man won both the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice in this category, yet wasn't even recognized by the Academy. And BAFTA didn't do us any favors either, as their award for Best Film Music, which combines both scores and soundtracks, went to A Star is Born. So, where do you stand? It was a very tough call, and I actually kind of flipped back and forth several times when making <clears throat> these predictions, but after a long deliberating process, I ultimately settled on Black Panther because, because of its recent Grammy win, and even though I did notice at the Grammys there has been a lot more splits between Grammy and Oscar wins for original score, mainly due to, like, the eligibility schedules of both awards. Mm -hmm. There have been some notable lineups of where both organizations picked the same winner. Uh, and the last time they did that, I believe, was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm, well, the Grammy, well, both the Grammys and the Oscars did reward this La La Land for its score. Well, I meant leading up to the Oscars is what I meant. 
Oh, I thought you meant with like just overall winners. Okay. Oh. Um, but Black Panther, I think its its score has been widely praised and analyzed and discussed and noted for its use of like African instrumentation and things like that, which could help it stand out here. Um, and yeah, it does have a very distinct African sound. Mm-hmm. And given that Black Panther is not expected to win Best Original Song, if voters feel they want to honor it for its music, or just in general, this might be one of the safest categories to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I do have a feel streak of talk in second place, because quite a lot of time voters want to reward a score that feels like its own unique character and if Beale Street could talk certainly fits that because there's a lot of very emotional swelling moments in the score. Uh, Oh yeah, I definitely, I actually do think Beale Street has the best score of the nominees. It not only feels and sounds very moving, but also very distinct. Yeah, that's what I would personally like to see win. And plus, Nicholas Bertel this time doesn't have to compete against La La Land like he did when he was nominated for Moonlight. Well, he doesn't so, have to compete against Justin Hurwitz. <laughs> so, you know, with that out of the way, that could maybe help him. But then again, we've often seen a strong correlation between scores that win and that same film is nominated for Best Picture. It's it's very rare for a Best Original Score winner to not have a Best Picture nomination. Especially in recent years. The only time it's happened was 2015, but that was Ennio Morricone finally winning his first competitive Oscar for The Hateful Eight. And I think the last time it happened before that, I'll have to go back and check, but I think it was for... I think that the last time that happened was in 1999 for a film called The Red Violin, which... I don't believe was nominated for anything else but its score, but I did watch that film years ago on Netflix, and it's it's hard to it's it's easy to see why it won its best it's that Oscar because the film is literally about a red violin that is literally handed down to diff, to people of different generations and cultures throughout the centuries, everywhere from Europe to Asia to North America. It's it's quite a fascinating film if you've never seen it. Uh, yeah. As for the rest of my rankings, I have uh, Black Panther, If Beale Street Could Talk, Black Klansman. It's worth noting that composer Terrence Blanchard also recently won a Grammy for Best Instrumental Composition he wrote for that film. And if he pulls off a win here, that could be a sign of support for the film. And fourth I ha- place, I have Mary Poppins Returns. And fifth, Isle of Dogs. Oh, those are my rankings as well. All same five. Oh, great. Of course, we, sh- we should mention that if Mark Shaman wins for Mary Poppins Returns, either here or in song, he'll j- become the latest EGOT member. Yes, though, that narrative hasn't really taken off, so it doesn't look like he has much of a shot. No, but, I mean, in case he somehow does pull off a win in either, that would it would put him in that club, though. It's just worth noting. That is true, but hey, hopefully, you know, he can uh, get more high-profile film work to get him there. Yeah. Uh, All right. Best original song is next. Yep. And the nominees here are All the Stars from Black Panther, I'll Fight from RBG, The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns, Shallow from A Star is Born, and... When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And 
who, who are we kidding? This is easily going to go to shallow from A Star is Born. I have a feeling it's going to receive way more votes than probably all four other nominees combined. I agree. This is one of the easiest categories of the year. And so it's not only looking to be the best place to award A Star is Born, but also Lady Gaga's overall contributions to the film as she is one of the songwriters. Mm. And of course, this would follow in the footsteps of the 1976 film version, <clears throat> which also won Best Original Score. And even though Barbara Streisand did not receive an acting nomination for that film, she did at least win her second Oscar for writing the song Evergreen from that version of Star is Born. Uh-huh. Yes. As for the rest of my rankings, they are Shallow, All the Stars, I'll Fight, The Place Where Lost Things Go, and When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. Uh, my same rankings as well. Aha, we're on a roll today. <laughs> so, Categories, and that's probably where things are going to get interesting, I bet. Yes, so is it your turn or my turn to read off nominees for sound editing? Yours. Okay, the nominees for best sound editing are Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, A Quiet Place, and Roma. So I'm predicting Black Panther to win. I mean, it's has a wide variety of sound effects they had to create for all the action sequences and World of Wakanda, and it's a pretty loud movie, so what about you? I'm actually predicting First Man will win. Oh, I would love to see that happen, but then again, I have to keep statistics in mind that so far within the expanded era, only one film has won Best Sound Editing without a Best Picture nomination, and that was Skyfall back in 2012, albeit it was in a tie with Zero Dark Thirty itself was another best picture nominee however i'm <clears throat> i think that with black panther it's received most of its praise for things like its production design costume design and music <clears throat> and my feeling is voters will feel well it's sounds pretty much the same as almost any other superhero film and <clears throat> we did and i i do know we did see another superhero film win this category 10 years ago with the dark knight winning sound editing however it happened to, even though that technically is a superhero film, yes, it did contain, I guess, a lot more traditional elements from what you see winning here because The Dark Knight, unlike Black Panther, didn't involve, like, battles and spaceships and things like that, where it involved things like car chases, explosions, and just the typical things you see when sound editing because sound editing winners tend to be either space films, war films... Uh, action films, particularly ones with, like, say, car chases. So <clears throat> if your film does not check off any of those three boxes, then I don't think you'll win. And given the fact that we do know there are a lot of industry folks who don't like comic book movies and don't like seeing Black Panther nominated, like, at least in the top categories, I can't, and if given that no other superhero film since The Dark Knight has been nominated and won for this, I just can't help but feel that they won't – I just feel that they won't give it to Black Panther here. I just feel that if First Man is going to win something, this might be a safe place to win. And plus, if voters want to finally give more women recognition in sound, they could do that here because both of the sound editors nominated for First Man are women, which well, is something we – rarely see well yes though again the names aren't on the ballot so we don't know how many academy members are even aware of that 
true, but remember when they release the full list of nominations, they always include, at least in the press releases, they always include the people's names, and I imagine voters probably print those out just to keep a track of what they've seen and what they haven't seen yet. So, and, you know, they're, yeah. But yeah, I, I just feel that black, we, since we don't have a strong track record of superhero and comic book movies winning this outside of the dark Knight, I'm hesitant to see what black Panther will do here. So yeah, that's why my overall rankings are first man, a quiet place, which did pick up some wins at the motion sound editors guild award but given that it's a horror movie, which traditionally doesn't do well at the Oscars. And it's the only nomination it received. That too. Um, That's why I have it in second place, although A Quiet Place would be my personal pick to win, followed by Bohemian Rhapsody, which did win at the Sound Guilds. Then I have Black Panther in fourth place, followed by Roma. Okay, my rankings are Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, and A Quiet Place. Quiet place in the last place. Wow. Well, I'm just not willing to predict a sole nominee in a sound category until I actually see it happen. True. Although with a quiet place, you know, guild wise, it has done much better at guild awards than most horror films typically do. And at least with, I could imagine it. I can I can imagine like a lot of younger voters who are like say, under the age of forty in particular. I could see them possibly voting for this especially since most of the people involved in A Quiet Place are under the age of 40. Well, well, yes, but, yeah, I mean, I just would it would have at least appreciated if Quiet Place had a little more recognition, like if it was nominated in sound mixing as well. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen it nominated for several awards, like not only sound mixing, but I would have loved to have seen it gotten, like, say a film editing nomination, and heck, if John Krasinski, I think, would have been a more worthy Best Director nominee than, say, Paul Polakowski or Adam McKay. That is true. So, yeah, but just for the reasons I said before, at least with my prediction for First Man, that's why I have it winning, just because I think I think sound is going to continue to follow the traditional path for a while until, like, all the older sound editors and mixers die off and the new crop becomes the old crowd. <laughs> No. Well, in any case, I guess now is a good segue into Best Sound Mixing, and I believe it's your turn to read off the nominees. Yes, and they are are Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, and A Star is Born. And although it wouldn't, and I think because of its guild wins and because so much praise has been showered towards the Live Aid segment of this film, I think Bohemian Rhapsody will take it. Me too. Musicals usually have a great track record of winning this award. And while Bohemian Rhapsody is not a musical, it is at least a music-driven film along the lines of Amadeus, Spurred, Ray, and Whiplash. And La La Land, which shockingly lost this award to Hacksaw Ridge. Well, La La Land is a musical, not a music-driven film. True, but we did see a full-fledged musical Les Miserables win this award. As well as Chicago and Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm. Which is why I thought La La Land would win as well when it came around, so... Oh, yeah, but the good news was that... It losing to Hacksaw Ridge was quite a shocker. Yes, and that probably meant first sign that La La Land was vulnerable, but on the bright side, Kevin O'Connell finally broke his losing streak. Yeah, but it shouldn't have happened for that film, though. <laughs> 
All right, but anyway, so I have Bohemian Rhapsody winning, although I do think A Star is Born could possibly upset because if people, if there are people upset about Rami Malek mainly lip-syncing in Bohemian Rhapsody, they could very well give it to A Star is Born since many of those concert scenes were filmed live and Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga did do their own singing, so... And having to combine live footage, you know, and the, them singing their own stuff, that could probably appeal to a lot of people. Um, and then I follow that up with First Man, Black Panther, and Roma. Okay, my rankings are Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, A Star is Born, Black Panther, and Roma. Okay, so, so we're not too far off there. Okay. Now on to Best Visual Effects. And so, uh, it's my turn, and the nominees are, oh, let's see, the nominees for Best Visual Effects are Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. All right. Uh, well, even though this took home the supporting honor rather than the main honor at the Visual Effects Society Awards, I do have... First Man winning because it is the most nominated film here and it is the most realistic, which is typically what voters go for in this category. They don't really tend to go for the most visual effects, but rather the most realistic visual effects, which is why we've seen winners in the past include films like Forrest Gump, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Hugo, etc. Yeah, I have First Man winning as well. I think this is the best place to award it, and and I know you know I know Avengers: Infinity War is out front, and it could become the first Marvel Cinematic Universe film to win this award. But it is worth noting that First Man is also the only film in contention here that has more the uh, nominations because everything else is a sole nominee. Yeah, that's. That's true, and I kind of did say that when I said First Man is the most nominated film here. Um, but, I mean, I guess Avengers Infinity War could have a chance because it is very visual effects heavy, and I, and I know a lot of people were very impressed by the motion capture performance of Josh Brolin as Thanos. Maybe that, you know, that could possibly help. But then again, Andy Serkis's motion capture performance as Caesar couldn't help any of the three Planet of the Apes films, which all lost in their respective years so yeah to more so then, to more celebrated films by the academy mm -hmm. yeah so yes and i should also add that you know while first man may not have the showiest effects out of all the nominees it could still stand out as the apple in a bag of oranges or vice versa in a race that's mostly filled with cgi extravaganzas Plus, it would feature in the long, long line of space-related films that have won everything from, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey to uh, Gravity and Interstellar in recent years, you know. So we have a long tradition of space films winning this honor. Indeed. Although Apollo 13 did not, but then again, it was up against Babe. Right. And it would actually be kind of a nice thing if First Man would win because this year... Because it would be on the the 50th anniversary of 2001: A Space Odyssey winning this category, and of course, the very year that 2001: A Space Odyssey won the Oscar a few months later, that's when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Ooh, good call, good call. Uh huh. And of course, and of course, 2001: A Space Odyssey featured a sequence of astronauts on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and so the nominees for best animated feature are. Incredibles 2, 
Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And despite Disney and Pixar's dominance in this category throughout most of the time since it was created, I think this year Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse will win. I think it's unbeatable at this point. It's swept through all the major awards, you know, Golden Globes, Annie's, BAFTA's, Critics' Choice. So, you know, if... And given the fact that very few sequels in general have won, like we all thought How to Train Your Dragon 2 would win, it lost to Big Hero 6, and the only sequel I can remember winning is Toy Story 3 because we all thought that would be the end of the Toy Story franchise, and of course now it's not. And given that, you know... As well as the fact that it was a Best Picture nominee. Mm -hmm. Well, plus, Toy Story 3 just generated such an emotional response from those who saw it that nothing else could really compare. So just the overall sequel weariness, I think, and just the fact that it's probably the most original film of these nominees will help Spider-Man really stand out. Yes, and 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 not to mention this would be the first time since 2011 that a non-Disney animated film won this category. And it would also make history because one of the film's directors, Peter Ramsey, would be the is the first African American nominee ever in the category and would thus become the first ever winner. Yes, he would. And so as for the rest of my rankings, I, okay, I have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Isle of Dogs, Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Mirai. Ah, my same exact rankings. Yes. And I have uh, Isle of Dogs in second place, given that, well, it's originality as well, as well as the fact that if n enough awareness is made of the fact that Wes Anderson is overdue for an Oscar, I can definitely see him getting some sympathy votes. Plus, the voice cast in this movie, in Isle of Dogs, is like, <clears throat> it's like as star-studded as you can get, because you have Brian Cranston, Harvey Keitel, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, F. Murray Abraham, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Francis, Mc Francis McDormand, and the list goes on and on. Yes. So, I guess now on to uh, Best Documentary Feature Film, and the nominees are Free Solo, Hale County this more evening. Uh, no, sorry, Hale County this morning, this evening. Minding the gap of fathers and sons and RBG. And no, won't you be my neighbor? So, what do you have winning? <laughs> well, I should mention that if "Won't You Be My Neighbor" had been nominated here, I would have gotten all five of my predictions of who I thought would be nominated correct. Mm -hmm. so, of fathers and sons was the only no nominee that I did not predict. But ultimately, you know, like, there's been a big toss-up between Free Solo and RBG, but I ultimately pick Free Solo because it's been winning a lot of Guild Awards, and it seems to be generating the most buzz because it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime, how-the-hell-did-they-pull-that-off kind of movies, whereas RBG is, like, your standard bio biographical documentary, a very good one, and what I would personally like to see win, but Free Solo just has that it factor because... It's, it's portraying something that we've literally never seen before. Mm -hmm. and the filmmakers, as well as the main subject, Alex Honnold, they were literally playing a game of life or death by making this film. Yeah. So, the vo so voters may not, not want to reward them not only for like the amazing fact, the way they pulled off this film, but the fact that they all live to tell the tale. Yes. 
Yes, and yeah, I agree. I think Free Solo is winning. While RPG has the most nominations overall of the films in contention here, I think people will be more impressed by Free Solo. So as for the rest of my rankings, Free Solo, RPG, Minding the Gap, Hell County This Morning, This Evening, and The Fathers and Sons. Yep, my same rankings as well. <laughs> Great. So now on to Best Foreign Language Film, and the nominees are... Capernaum from Lebanon, Cold War from Poland, Never Look Away from Germany, Roma from Mexico, and Shoplifters from Japan. And I think if you don't vote, if you don't pre predict Roma's going to win this year, people are going to think you're crazy. So Roma, Roma will easily win this, although if there's any slight possibility of an upset, it's probably going to be Cold War. And then the rest of my rankings are Shoplifters, Capernaum, and Never Look Away. I have most of those same rankings, though I have Capernaum ranked higher than Shoplifters, but who are we kidding? We know it's going to be Roma. Yeah. I did originally put Capernaum in third place, but then I remembered that Shoplifters won the Palme d'Or at Cannes last year, which probably makes it a little more prestigious. Although, have it, I, I, I did manage to see four of the five. I didn't get to see Never Look Away in time, but... I guess if I were to rank them personally from what I would, I've seen, I would rank them as such. Roma, Capernaum, uh, Cold War, and Shoplifters. Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah. So, I guess now on to the short categories, which are always the most difficult ones to predict. Okay, and let's see. So, for best... Uh, Wait, I believe it's uh, my turn. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, right, it is your turn. All right, so for Best Animated Short Film, the nominees, okay, the nominees are Animal Behavior, uh, Bao, or Bao, however it's pronounced, Late Afternoon, One Small Step, and Weekends, and I'm predicting Bao or Bao to win. It's a, I believe it's pronounced Bao. Yeah, Bao. I'm predicting that to win. Me too, because it's the most, it's the most seen of these because it was played in front of Incredibles 2. It's been... There are some now considering it one of Pixar's best animated shorts ever. It's it's very relatable because it deals with themes about parenthood. And, of course, it also is history-making in the fact that it's the very first Pixar short film ever to be directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Domi Shi, who... And she'd make history not only for being a woman, but she'd also join that small, but hopefully it will grow larger in the near future, group of Asian Oscar winners and for both on-camera and off-camera awards. Yes, and uh, as for my overall rankings, Bow, Weekends, Animal Behavior, Late Afternoon, and One Small Step. Right, well, I have the same top two, but I have One Small Step in third place, Animal Behavior in fourth, and Late Afternoon in fifth. Okay, how come? Uh, well, One Small Step... Um, it's a, it has a very strong root factor because it's about a young girl. Well, it starts off young, and we see her grow up from childhood to adulthood, and it's about her lifelong dream of becoming an astronaut, and you have to and you really root for her, especially when she has to go through some tragic events. And then animal behavior, it's, you know, it's probably, it's a unique situation in which it showcases, like, a behavior, well, like a, a therapy group like you would see in a psychiatrist's office, only, of course, the psychiatrist and the people in the group are all animals. Um, and then 
late afternoon is kind of the most I have it ranked last because it's I mean it's it's about a elderly woman with dementia trying to remember her childhood and that's pretty much it so it has probably the least story I guess so it's like what has the biggest story arc I think that tends to win here and in fact, it is also worth noting that one of the head honchos at Gold Derby, Chris Beecham, often you know says when it comes to predicting the short categories, at least the animated ones, go for the ones with the animals. Yeah, either with animals or at least with like uh, someone you're really rooting for. But like, but even though even though visibility can help, like with the short film Piper from Pixar a few years ago. It doesn't always determine the winner. Like we all thought, get a horse would win this category because it played in front of Frozen, but nope, it lost to the French cartoon Mr. Hublot, which that year actually made me a little angry because I thought Mr. Hublot was easily the weakest of the nominees that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sorry, ready to move on to best documentary short subject? Yes, and the nominees are Black Sheep. Endgame, Lifeboat, A Night at the Garden, and Period, End of Sentence. I'm predicting Period, End of Sentence to win. How about you? Yep, I'm predicting that as well because I've noticed the trend in recent years is to voters tend to give it to a short that is about people trying to make a positive change in their society, especially in a society that isn't may not be as caught up as, like, say, traditional Western society, and period, end of sentence follows these women in a small village in India who, you know, have for generations have had to deal with the, t- the taboo subject of their periods privately because that's, like, something no one wants to get involved with, and they're taught how to make their own sanitary pads, and it gives many of them their very first jobs and able to help them become not completely financially dependent on their hus- on their husbands. Yes. Plus it's like the most plus it also is the the I guess the most positive of these nominees. Yeah, in fact, one of my colleagues at Gold Derby Denton Davidson did an article explaining some long shot predictions he's doing which one of them is this category and he's predicting period end of sentence for some of the reasons you just mentioned. Well, I noticed a lot of experts are predicting it to win as well. They're split between either that or Black Sheep, which I I do have in second place. So do I. I. It could possibly win because it's certainly a unique story about a black teenager who, when trying to fit in with all the racist white kids in his neighborhood, he decides the only way to do so is to literally start acting like them. And But I guess the problem is it ends very abruptly and we don't find out if I assume he doesn't hang out with those people anymore, but we never find out why he stopped hanging out with them or what led him to change his mind about them. So that maybe could hurt it if voters felt they wanted more explanation. And then I have Lifeboat in third place because we have seen nominations about this migrant crisis before in recent years. So it's clearly a big news topic that's still very relevant. And then I have Endgame in fourth, and then A Night at the Garden in fifth. Okay, my rankings are Period, End of Sentence, Black Sheep, Endgame, A Night at the Garden, and Lifeboat. I have A Night at the Garden in last place just simply because 
all it is is just literally archival footage and that's it it's only like seven minutes long and I'm, I'm guessing the filmmaker wanted to let the footage speak for itself, which it does, but I bet some Oscar voters might want some more historical context, either from voiceover narration or maybe an interview with a historian giving more context about this event, which is why I think it has no chance of winning at all. Okay. Because it, it's very well done, but it comes across more like a glorified high school project. Than, a, than an Oscar-winning film. Okay, so I guess, are you ready to discuss the final category? Yes. All right, and that's Best Live Action Short Film. And the nominees are Detainment, Fauve, is that how it's pronounced? I, think it's, I, I assume it's pronounced Fauve, because anytime I see an A-U, it always has like an O sound. Okay, Fauve, Marguerite... Marguerite. Marguerite, thank you. Mother and Skin. So I have a Marguerite winning this. How about you? Same, because this, while the best live action short film category tends to have some pretty sad and depressing nominees every year, this year it seems to be way more sad and depressing than most. And Marguerite, while maybe not like Sunshine and Roses happy, it, it's the only one of them that has, I guess what you could say, a happy ending compared to all the rest. And it's, you know, while the others deal with tragedy, this one's just about the bond between an old woman and her nurse and that. But I know I did read Denton's article about his predictions, and I know he's predicting Skin to win, which I do have in second place because it does feature an interesting story with some pretty shocking moments, you know, moments like, my, that like I, I saw it in the theater and I could literally hear the audience gasp, especially in the very very end. But I do think it does touch upon some tricky subjects. It's about a group of racist white skinheads and a group of black people who have this racial rivalry going on because of a horrific incident that happens. And some of the shocking moments I think might be too shocking for some voters. So that's why I don't really think it'll win. But I but I still have it in second place. And then I have Detainment in third because while it has gotten a lot of criticism, especially in the UK, because it's about the, the boys who murdered little James Bulger and James Bulger's parents have denounced the film being nominated. And there's been an online petition with over 200,000 signatures to get the film's nomination revoked for which the Academy did respond and say, no, we won't revoke it because no legal guidelines were broken here. I do think the controversy alone will probably prevent a lot of British voters from voting for this because the James Bulger story is very well known in the UK because it caused huge shockwaves of horror when it happened there. But I do think it could have somewhat of a chance to win because American voters may not be as familiar with the story as British ones are. And the acting in this film is probably is quite extraordinary. I mean, the young boys who play James Bulger's killers, Robert Thompson and John Venables, their acting is honestly some of the most powerful I've seen from child actors in a long time. I mean, if they gave out Oscar nominations for acting in short films, both of these boys would easily be deserving of nominations. As for your bottom two rankings? Uh, I have Mother in fourth place because it has a very, it pulls off a very tricky thing of containing the action to pretty much just one room because it's about a mother whose son calls her saying, 
help, my dad's disappeared, and we never see the little boy. We only hear him over the phone. So it kind of feels like a stage play, but it's so powerful. It hooks you, and you're so invested in it that when it ends, you're just like, <gasps> and then I have Fove in last place because Fove, well, it, I wouldn't say it's open-ended. Well, it's kind of open-ended with its ending, but it implies that something happens, but we never see the fallout from what happens, and I feel some voters may feel cheated by that. Plus, Fove also puts children in dangerous situations, and if voters don't like that kind of thing, that could hurt them as well. I remember, I remember interestingly, Roger Ebert once said one of the f types of films he and Gene Siskel often disagreed about the most was films that put children in various dangerous situations, as Gene Siskel often hated those types of movies. Wow. But Roger Ebert was like more open-minded because I remember in his review of the horror movie Orphan in 2009, Roger Ebert said if Gene Siskel had seen it, he probably would have hated it. Wow. Oh, wow. And Roger Ebert, he liked Orphan. He gave it like three or three and a half out of four stars. So, so I guess he probably would have given it two thumbs up. Yeah. Or I guess thumbs up, because usually when in the past when Gene Siskel was alive, two thumbs up would mean that both Siskel and Ebert gave the film positive reviews. Okay. As for my rankings, I'm pretty much in agreement with you on that. Now, interest, now this year, did you actually see the short films? Uh, no, I'm just placing, well, well, not all of them. I did see a couple of the documentary short nominees, such as Endgame and Period, End of Sentence, given that they're both on Netflix. But, like, is, was there a theater near you that was playing them in, like, a, script, in like a package? Not that I know of. I mean, uh, no, no, I guess I should be keeping better track of that. Yeah. And actually, there's one thing I forgot to mention about Skin. Skin actually kind of, you could say, has the most star power because while I don't recognize any of the adult actors here you know both the white and black groups of people both have children that are caught in the center of the conflict and both the child actors here are, are actually have had some notable credits the the white boy is played by Jackson Robert Scott who of course played uh, Georgie in the 2017 remake of It and the black boy is played by Lonnie Chavis, who currently plays young Randall on This Is Us. Hmm. Very interesting. I don't know if Oscar voters will have made that connection like I did, because I remember watching him thinking, I didn't recognize Jackson Robert Scott at first because he, he literally has a shaved head. But I did recognize Lonnie Chavis. I'm, I was thinking, is that young Randall from This Is Us? And sure enough, it was him. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so... So that's just about covers it. We've covered all 24 categories. So, so I guess before we go, what are your expectations for the Oscar telecast tomorrow night? It's gone through such turmoil from, obviously, Kevin Hart originally being announced as host, but then quit. So now we're left with no host, unless the rumors come true that Whoopi Goldberg is the surprise host. And, well, and not all the songs nominated songs will be performing only four of them will be which is at least more than two which as previously reported and and uh what are your expectations uh i'm just hoping that it's still just a good show i mean hopefully with no host you know maybe at least if they're worried about keeping the show at a shorter length maybe that'll make that happen but 
imagine since they said Queen is performing, I imagine they'll probably open the show because I can't really imagine them being placed right in the middle of the show. I imagine them opening the show will be a great way to bring in a lot of viewers. Yes, I agree. I imagine their presence on the show was probably did primarily to increase the ratings. Although I'm sure the members would have still been invited to the show because of Bohemian Rhapsody's Best Picture nomination. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, uh, it'll be interesting to see like how they, like how they at least open the show. Like, will they have just the announcer voice saying "Welcome to the 91st Academy Awards," or will they have a celebrity come on stage to welcome everyone? I mean. It'll be interesting because, of course, the very last time there was no host was in 1989, and that was considered the absolute worst Oscar ceremony of all time. So bad that even though the Oscars YouTube channel has like the winners in that in their show accepting their awards, the Oscars have never uploaded the infamous Rob Lowe Snow White musical number to their channel, <laughs> which means even they know that was bad. Hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, the the Oscars rarely upload performances under to their YouTube channel. Well, they have uploaded a lot of those old opening number segments from like the ceremonies of the past, like with Billy Crystal's. Well, well I I mean rarely. I mean at least with the best song nominees. Right. Yeah. But I'm talking about like the opening production number of the 1989 Oscars, which. The with, like with Snow White and Rob Lowe and like mm-hmm. the I want to be an Oscar winner like those were what gained so much flack from critics and even Hollywood itself like there was a massive open letter signed afterwards signed by people like Paul Newman, Gregory Peck, Julie Andrews and everyone you could think of denouncing the ceremony as being disgraceful mm-hmm. and also and of course but I should say not having a host was not the reason why that ceremony bombed so badly. It was because of those gaudy production numbers that Alan Carr, the show's producer, created. And I remember reading the account by Eileen Bowman, from who played Snow White, that she wrote for The Hollywood Reporter. And according to her, she said pretty much everyone knew that number would those numbers would be a disaster and everyone wanted Alan Carr to scrap them. But he said, nope, it's my show. I'm doing what I want. Deal with it. Oh. Well, but there's one positive thing Alan Carr did that has stuck with the Oscars ever since. Alan Carr ins- did not like the and the winner is when opening the envelopes because he felt that was too mean and too competitive. He ordered the, cha- the phrase be changed to and the Oscar goes to. Yes, because all the nominees should feel like winners. Exactly. Alan Carr thought that was a more friendly, fi- friendly saying and he felt... He didn't want the Oscars to be seen as just like a cutthroat competition of who's better than everyone else, but rather who just was the best of that category and not like as if that automatically makes them better, which is why he felt and the winner is was a mean phrase to say. Well, that just about does it for our overall discussion on the Oscars going into tomorrow night. So to everyone making their predictions, good luck to you all and good luck to you, Alex. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully at least someone will do the best they can with their predictions. So we'll see you later. Bye. 
If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. Feel free to rate and/or review this show on iTunes. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.com. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all later.